And we're back with another episode. Welcome to episode 24 of Borrowed Up. If you've stuck with us for 24 episodes, thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. Well, today we've got a very special guest, Vianne Nguyen. So myself and Meg sit down with Vianne and we share the impact of culture and mental health. And Vianne brings a lot to this discussion because she currently works for an organization that that it's called Shapes and Sounds and they talk about a lot of issues that are prominent among Asian Australians. On top of that, Vianne is also working at us as a psychologist at the Women's Centre for Mental Health. So we talk about, you know, the gender implications of mental health. So that's a really powerful discussion. So yeah, really enjoyed this chat. We learned a lot and hopefully you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, let's go. All right, Vianne, uh, thank you so much for joining Ojoel and I here at uh, Bottled Up. It's an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me here. I'm already so excited. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, we're definitely very excited as well. And um, we were just chatting just before, but this is your second podcast, right? Um, second ever and hopefully um, a bajillion more to come. I'm very ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's awesome. We love that. And um, Ujwal and I, we've done some research into you and, and we're really sort of... Um, astounded by the work you're currently doing within the mental health space. I mean, I mean, you're currently a psychologist for the Melbourne Centre for Women's Health, um, and you're also a psychologist at, uh, Shapes and Sh- at Shapes and Sounds, which is also an initiative uh, we'll definitely touch on a little bit later. Um, but initially, what sort of got you into the area of mental health? I mean, you know, how did it all start? Yeah, so I guess, um, like a lot of people, I did really learn more about psychology through high school, like VC subjects. Um, it probably became more of a reality when my dad brought home a report from his workplace and it was written by an organizational psychologist and it was talking all about managing stress and well being in the workplace. And I was yeah in year 12 at the time and I never realized that that was actually someone's work you know someone's job is to think about well-being at work and I thought it was amazing Um, so that was really where my interest peaked but I didn't really pursue psychology or you know plan to do it straight away after that I think you know we were discussing beforehand as well that idea of having a stable career and things like that that was pretty much top of my mind So when I did put in my preferences um, for what courses to do after year 12, it was actually all like accounting, (laughs) accounting, accounting, and then like a HR thrown in there, something a bit more people-y. But it wasn't until, you know, later, I had actually already submitted my preferences. And then at one point, my dad was kind of like trying to gauge my interest and the budget was on TV and the voice was also on. And he was flicking between channels and he just realized that every time the budget was on, I would tune out and not listen at all. <laughs> and then when the voice was on, I was like fully paying attention. And then he asked me like, are you, you know, are you actually interested in like numbers, fiscal policy, <laughs> whatever? Uh, and I was like, I'm really not. Oh, really? <laughs> so that was real. That was actually the turning point, you know, admitting to myself that um, I really like this. You know, I keep researching when I was planning to do accounting, I kept trying to make sure I could do psychology subjects within the course, but it didn't actually occur that maybe that should be the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, after that point, I um, 
decided to try and stick it out because as as you guys might have looked into it uh, the steps for being a psychologist it's like do an undergrad and honors research year and then postgrad and I think back when I was you know 17 18 I was like oh my god who wants to be at uni for that long and that's too much so yeah it was after that that I committed to it and um, I actually stuck it out <laughs> yeah wow that, that, that sounds like that one defining moment. It's very like compelling to hear that. I remember kind of going through a similar process, but maybe not. I actually ended up picking the accounting side of things and going ahead with the commerce degree. But I even remember last year, like kind of realizing, hey, I've done a degree in something that's, that's cool, but maybe not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I was like, I think I need to start actually studying in a more formal way. And it, it was a distinct moment. And maybe it was because of all the lockdowns and that I was like, I, I want to study something like this, but you mentioned that it's like a very long process and, you know, doing a research year isn't easy. Even getting into that is very hard. Was there, what were the challenges? Like, did you have moments there where you're like, I should have gone back to accounting or maybe this isn't the right thing? Or what, was it like a deep purpose for like, hey, I need to do this because it's my purpose? Oh, you know, I wish it was that beautiful that I had the unwavering, like, um, commitment the whole time. But in reality, it was probably just like a whole roller coaster of neuroticism and anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it probably, it was quite difficult. Um, you know, in all honesty, I think the honours year, if anyone has ever done any honours, like not just psychology, I always think that that's the worst one <laughs> that everyone does honors who does honors is crazy because oh, really? too much <laughs> what's so crazy about it well for me I did it um you know full-time which a lot of people do but it's like you have to do a thesis mm. and coursework I think my thesis was around 12,000 words and other people have different like their thesis might be 20,000 or it might be 9,000 um I actually don't know if 20,000 is one but anyway um <laughs> Because you have to come up with a topic, carry out all the research and then write it up at the end and then also do like two semesters of coursework, it's a lot crammed in one year. And I think the only reason I got through was, um, well, I call her my guardian angel, which I'll actually go back to the beginning and explain a little bit. But so if I like talk about the journey of psychology, um, I think it peaked in third year when I had that career crisis of like, oh my God, I'm graduating and I'm going to be out in the real world and I don't know what I'm doing. And everyone tells me that an honours oh. year is very competitive to get into. So the messaging was very much like, have a plan B because you might not make it. <laughs> and that was, you know, yeah, from the course conveners and whatnot. So it really felt grim. And then I think that was my first wave of applying for all the jobs that I didn't get because I didn't even know how to submit a good job application. And then thinking like, oh, okay, I just researched and I know I want to do organizational psychology, but there's um, much more clinical psychology courses out there. So then I was like, maybe I should switch because that's what I'm seeing more of. Um, so... I started trying to get experience in that space, um, which, yeah, it was amazing. I worked at, um, I volunteered at ArcVic, which is the Anxiety Recovery Center as a helpline volunteer. So that was, you know, amazing experience and good to be like deep in that mental health space. But I think I knew that my passion was still org psych, but I was like, you know what, 
whatever. <laughs> the universe says it's too hard. So I'll just stick with this and try my best. Um, and then this is where the guardian angel comes in. So um, I think I only really made it through because I met someone who was really similar to me. So she was only a few years older, um, also an Asian female, and she was actively pursuing org psych. Like she was in her honors and she presented at a psych information session saying that like, this is my research and this is what I want to be. And I had never actually met someone who was pursuing it before. Um, I had like researched it, but I never met a real life person. So after connecting with her, I think that's when the motivation really peaked. And I was like, I think I can actually give it a go and not just settle because everyone is telling me something. Um, and then, yeah, we stayed really close all throughout the honors. Um, so even though it was like the worst year, <laughs> I still think that, you know, because you know she took me under her wing, um, that I felt really safe and supported the whole time. And then even on to doing the masters, um, and we're still really close now. So yeah, I really think that having a, like a mentor or coaches is how I made it through and even in the workplace as well. But without someone actually saying like, I think you can do this. Um, I think it's a lot harder to push yourself through that or mm. it might take you much longer, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's always good to have that, you know, that sort of mentor and have that, ha have them as a pillar of support. And, and it's actually very relevant to, to mental health as, as I think a psychologist can often be seen as someone um, like that, you know, you're someone who can provide that guidance and, and how you can improve yourself. And, and you can also use them as a pillar of support. And um, you mentioned your guardian angel. That wasn't Asami, was it? Um, so we'll talk more about Asami, but um, she came into my life as another guardian angel, like a little bit later on. Oh, okay. <laughs> if, so you got multiple if, guardian, guardian angels. That's good. Oh, I, I'm really <laughs> blessed that I do have multiple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's awesome. No, uh, well, well, the reason I actually wanted to mention Asami was because um, she was actually the founder of, of Shapes and Sounds. And, and I know mm -hmm. we mentioned this, that we, that we were going to talk mm -hmm. about this a little bit earlier on. Um, but we'd love to give you the opportunity mm -hmm. to potentially actually speak about Shapes and Sounds and what, it, what it's kind of all about. For sure. So uh, Shapes and Sounds is an online platform. We're a business that focuses on Asian Australian mental health and well-being. So um, I guess what we do is we have a lot of resources around, you know, getting more awareness about your cultural identity, how it interacts with mental health, um, even how to get help, like practical tips. And then we also have products for when you're feeling ready to do something with that information. So for example, we had the Shapes and Sounds Club that ran a few months ago, and that was um, a series of webinars as well as weekly discussion prompts um, and a chance for people all around Australia really to connect and share their story and learn from each other. Um, so yeah, we were a bit of a hub for like all things, you know, cultural identity, mental health and um, amazing colors. If you visit our Instagram <laughs> and see all the colors. <laughs> no, I love it. No, I've actually seen, I actually went on your website actually. Um, it was actually really good. I love the use of yellow. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's a very bold color. And I should probably mention a little bit about Asami. Um, so she's, you know, another one of my guardian angels, <laughs> um, the founder of Shapes and Sounds and her background is um, she's a music therapist that's specialized in um, youth mental health and crisis support. 
and really you know seeing how um, Asian Australians kind of fall through the cracks in the system was what prompted her to create something that really focused on these people that um, the current system is not really it's not really built for or like it's just too easy for um, issues to go by not addressed and um, unnoticed so yeah yeah that's a really like important point I think like more and more we're kind of realizing the impact that culture has on our mental health um, that's something I've seen like even at uni but also just generally around the media and social media especially over the last year or so and I think it's really relevant to um, to, to I guess this conversation because I know like as part of Bottled Up the three of us when we started it uh, the cultural role was really important because when we think of mental health a big barrier is hey how do our parents think about this how do our friends and family and cousins and how do we how do we kind of build our reality in that sense and it always does come down to there was a bit of stigma because you know we don't talk about these things straight away when when we were young and that's just that's no one's fault it's just the way we grow up and uh, that's kind of the idea that's driving shapes and sounds which is so important to have a platform where you can you know read articles and I was like on the website earlier today seeing like the reflections and like there's a, it's amazing to see the list of practitioners there as well and there's like obviously people from Asian background but I saw a few from an Indian background and I can see it's all over Australia as well so I think it's a really important resource and yeah just even if we take a step back it doesn't have to be about seeing a psychologist my mental health is is influenced very strongly by my culture and that's a great starting point I think mm. well thanks Ujwal and yeah what you mentioned is actually you know one of the most um, I guess most visited or most popular aspects of shapes and sounds is that we have an Asian Australian mental health practitioner list and I think even just seeing that that list exists makes people even stop and realize like oh maybe I have thought about these things but actually culture and mental health come together and here's a curated list of psychologists um, yeah that you can actually give go and and um, it's growing each week I would say so yeah I think it's been really great to see interest from both sides um, you know people who want to see a psychologist and psychologists who kind of see the value in um yeah that cultural competence and culturally sensitive practice being more aware of that too why do you think that's so important like having being able to sort of speak to someone who is sort of the culturally the same background as as yourself great question i'm trying to i'm going to try and say something different to the blog posts or the instagram posts that Asami yeah. has posted about that topic <laughs> um yeah but I think it really is, you know, such a core part of um, your identity. I was kind of thinking about it the other day, like it kind of seeps into things like even your food preference, uh, you know, something really basic or your even your the way you dress maybe or tiny little things are probably influenced by your culture, right? Um, so I think it only makes sense that your mental health is very largely influenced by your culture as well. And, you know, we're all from, and, and at Shapes and Sounds, you know, when we do say Asian Australian mental health, it is, you know, East Asian, Southeast, South Asian, West Asian, like it really is a broad definition. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so I think it's kind of like seeing the whole person is seeing their culture as well. And um, if I reflect on my own experiences, like being in, you know, corporate workplaces and working through your like professional development goals, um, I always thought maybe my culture has something to do with it. Like everyone keeps telling me, you know, you need to be more assertive or um, you need to speak a certain way or do this. Um, But I was thinking, you know, I think something has to do with culture, perhaps, you you know, the way that I've been taught to speak to people of like an authority figure or how to work in teams and, and all that kind of stuff. And the reply that I got you know, it was overwhelmingly like, oh, that's a really great point, but it probably has nothing to do with culture. So just focus on yourself, you know, like what is your issue with assertiveness? <laughs> um, so, you know, for a few years, I really tried to like address the issue in isolation and really I was getting nowhere. <laughs> so when I thought about it in terms of culture and how does that come into the way I communicate and what what's my natural way of communicating how do my grandparents talk to me and all of that it actually just made so much more sense and um and then I made more progress <laughs> and it was more about finding the way that I prefer to be assertive you know rather than um trying too much to conform to yeah what people are trying to tell you to do <laughs> Yeah, and you mentioned conform, and uh, when I think about you know Asian Australians, and I speak again on behalf of like all aspects of this, um, like everyone as a part of the continent of Asia who's kind of growing up in an Australian background, I think a big part of it is we kind of have these conflicting sort of values and cultures. You know, we have that culture from our parents in many cases, and then we have you know what what's been offered to us in this you know in Australia with our friends and peers and teachers. And that friction between those two, that was something I personally really struggled with and I know a lot of my friends did to varying extents. But I think that also drives into, you know, forming that mm-hmm. the, those challenging experiences when they're young and that influences the mental health challenges that this group often faces. Um, yeah, and talking about that would be so important with someone who has that background. Yeah, yeah. Um, so two things popped into my mind for that and one was that a lot of my clients do come and say like, you know, something from your profile that attracted me was that we have the same cultural background or by the same, it's not necessarily Vietnamese. It might just be literally person of color, (laughs) Um, cultural diversity. Um, And that just that fact alone makes them feel a bit safe to say like, you know, I I think I can talk to you about these issues. Sometimes it even extends to be like, you know, because you possibly have this experience of being othered, maybe you'll understand my issues that relate to LGBTQ plus and things like that. And so I've been very um, honored to work with people who trust me to talk about those issues. And I think, yeah, the fact that even just my cultural background makes them feel like, okay, maybe they'll understand is really reassuring. Um, And yeah, I think it's that whole... I, I get it and I'm not going to judge type of thing, um, which I find very real. Uh, and, and the other point that popped into my mind, what you were saying, Ujwal, about, you know, the different cultures that we live in, a really key one that I found. So I'm not sure if you've come across uh, um, the concepts of implicit communication and explicit communication, but basically um, 
Asian cultures tend to be more on the implicit side where they communicate without having to be so blunt. Like they don't have, generally you don't have to say like, I'm feeling really sad. It's more your facial expression or your body language and you actually communicate through that. Whereas on the other end, explicit, it's more um, Western countries like Australia, uh, the US, they tend to be more explicit and everything is very... um, very out in the open like you will verbalize how you're feeling and it's not so much picking up the cues and I think a lot of times that clash is what like you know we must be experiencing and I know for me that's what I uh, felt with my parents like they're very implicit you know they would read each other based on even you know like little eye movements or tiny little facial expressions they can pick up on and then there's me I'm really on the very 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 other end of explicit when it comes to family um yeah so at home all these cues will go over my head because I'm not paying attention to them and then you know it'll be like I'm so sad but you didn't do anything about it and I was like oh really (laughs) (laughs) um and I think that was yeah a clash for a while before realizing like oh there's a cultural difference between me and my parents um so we've come a long way and I think I've kind of worked through that gap a little bit um in the family domain yeah that's it that that reminds me I kind of think back to you know random things that have happened in my household over the last few months but yeah that's a very important point and it even reminds me of like I remember like when we looked at this thing where like you look at the sort of general traits of different groups and I know Asian groups are known to be more collectivist and like doing things together in families and large groups which is not so much the case in you know western sort of things but that's something that can you know work in favor of Asians you know let's stick together and you know a lot of I know a lot of families you know with people who end up getting married but they end stay with their parents like those sort of Mm. traits can also you know looking into that Mm. it's great for mental health so definitely yeah Yeah, like I think the cultural part is understanding the person and the system that they're in. Yeah, exactly. Um, You you mentioned um, uh, about some of the trends that you saw. I wanted to maybe just take a moment, maybe a step back and, you know, just give us a bit of like the audience uh, an idea of what you do day to day um, in terms of your counselling and from your psychology background. Yeah, sure. So... um, I laughed a little bit because I do struggle to talk about what do I do for work because I'm in a bit of an, you know, experimental zone. I have quite a few jobs, (laughs) just like (laughs) doing whatever um, at the moment. So, and by whatever, I mean, whatever the heart wants. I think I'm lucky to be in a space where I feel very secure um, and that I feel like I can just try all these different things. So um, one thing that I do have ongoing is um, that my work at the Melbourne Centre for Women's Mental Health, so that's private practice um, counselling psychology and the types of issues that um, I might help with are like work stress, career counselling, anxiety, cultural identity and things like that is also really common in that work. Um, And then of course I work at Shapes and Sounds. And then I have, you know, like a few other projects, you know, like some consulting work and tutoring psychology units and things like that. Oh, you're very busy. (laughs) Very busy person, yeah. Um, No, it's interesting you you sort of talk about the the Women's Centre for Health because I was also sort of wondering, because we've sort of spoken about sort of the cultural implications that 
um, the cultural implications on mental health, but it would be really interesting to see maybe potentially what the gender implications are. I mean, I mean, like, um, are there any sort of particular trends that you see, uh, particularly within women's health, that um, that are somewhat like that you've sort of noticed in your time at the Women's Centre for Health? Yeah, for sure. So, um, if I had to talk about like common issues, I would say that friendship. Um, dynamics and stress that's a common one um identity in terms of i think yeah that whole like cultural context and as well as you know career interests like just trying to understand yourself better um i would probably group that as identity or maybe you know self reflection and, and introspection and whatnot um and then another one is actually around trauma and abuse and sexual abuse is a pretty big portion yeah. of that yeah and, and sexual yeah. abuse and, and sexual assault it's uh it's often seen as this very gendered based crime and and, and of course there's that there are men out there who have suffered from sexual assaults mm. um and, and we're sort of i'm sort of in your boat here as to where you want to take this question and, and how you want to answer it of course um so it is a de delicate topic and it's hard to speak about but um, what are sort of the conditions that people are sort of brought in? Are, are they sort of being treated for, for PTSD or is it a, a manifestation of something else? So I guess um, it is, you know, it's it's difficult to talk about mm, yeah, uh, as yeah. in like grouped together yeah. um, because everyone's situation is so unique and, uh, yeah, different. I guess what I'd say about that issue is that it's even surprised me um, going into it, into this type of work, um, how common, you know, sexual abuse was in someone's experience. And most of the time it doesn't feature as the main reason why they're here to talk to a psychologist. It's actually like, oh, and that happened as well. <laughs> oh, really? So it's like a secondary or like a byproduct of a... Okay. Yeah, oh, wow. it's secondary, but it's so common that I've kind of put it up there as one of the most common issues that... Um, you know we talk about but it's really like the main reason um it's it's you know it's kind of played into the stress or the anxiety that um someone is facing and i think the key thing there is i guess realizing that at the core um sexual abuse occurs when there is that power dynamic you know that someone with a little bit more power and whether it's um, they're in a more senior position or whether it's actually that they're, you know, they're young, maybe they're classmates, um, but, you know, as you mentioned, it's a gendered uh, experience typically that there might be a physical power imbalance between like a male and a female. And when there is that um, difference, then it's just so much more easy and, you know, when it's easy to get away with it, like an after-school setting you know there are no teachers around let's say or um or even in i'm going to reference um yumiko kadota's recent book emotional female she mentioned a few instances of um yeah uh, i think sexual abuse as well as other pe people in power taking advantage of people who are more junior oh. but something that was common in that example was it's just so easy to get away with that type of um, behavior happening a lot of the times because you know the most senior person is doing something to like an intern or a uh, junior doctor who their future depends on that person so it's not like they're going to go and talk about it um, 
Yeah, so I think what has been really sad um, but eye-opening to see is just how rife it is and how the people who are in that position of power are often, I guess they don't maybe um, think about the impact or like the little things that you do. Maybe it's just that the, the person, um, trying to think of a good example, <laughs> nothing comes to mind at the moment, but just knowing that like the way that you treat people has so many ripple effects and whether you're a manager, you know, in a professional workplace or whether you're a boy at school and the way that you talk to someone that that's going to impact them. Um, and you know, it can really play into that, um, the wound and that's where complex trauma comes in. So it's not necessarily PTSD, but, uh, and another little add on is, um, that the part of your brain that gets, um, activated by physical pain is actually the same part, um, as when you experience social isolation or rejection. So, you know, it's kind of the, the pain is very real, really. And um, the, the best example that comes into my mind, I don't know if any of you have Apple TV Plus, but do you know the show Ted Lasso? Yeah, I've heard of it. I've, I've seen the ads on, on YouTube, but I haven't, I haven't watched the show, though. It's a really good show. Yeah. Um, I'm not a sports person, but I watch <laughs> like stuff like Ted Lasso. That's how, <laughs> that's how I, I would keep up to date. <laughs> um, and there's... A, Anyway, I won't spoil it, but that's a really good example of um, like the, a little boy maybe not knowing the impact of his behavior on other people. That's in the latest episode. Anyway, I just recommend that everyone would watch the whole, both seasons as the second one is coming out now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've definitely seen the ads on YouTube and, and actually one of my mates said it was a really good show. So, so I'll definitely give it a watch. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the point you raised there is, is a really good segue into this next part that Ujwal and I really wanted to speak about because it's not something that we have actually talked about a lot. I mean, we have talked about this a lot in the other podcasts, but it's not really, we haven't really spoken about or touched on it um, specifically. And this, it's, it's the idea of toxic masculinity. And, and, and do you see that, you know, sexual abuse and, and these assaults are really a manifestation of that deeper problem of toxic masculinity? It is. And I would just choose my words carefully because I, my kind of caution is not wanting anyone to feel alienated and I know that when you know toxic masculinity comes up a lot of people might f have strong reactions to it I think it's a truth but at the same time I as you know as a feminist which really is just um, someone that wants equality for all sexes all genders um, it comes into play because I think because again it's kind of like when you do bad behavior and get away with it so when um let's say it's the high school setting i feel like that's you know where maybe a lot of this toxic masculinity kind of festers is if someone mentions something and then everyone kind of laughs along it really that's positive um, reinforcement and then that really just carries on and on and on because no one has called it out and if you will allow me to go into a little side tangent, I do feel very passionate about this topic. Oh, um, no, please do. Please do. Yeah, thank you. Last year in lockdown, I um, 
over Zoom, I sat down all of my cousins. I have a lot of cousins, so maybe like seven boys and I think it was also like six girls as well. I sat them all down. I didn't say like we're going to talk about toxic masculinity today. I was like, yeah. let's learn about feminism. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I presented my slides and we went through all these activities just um, – Really, it was for me. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. say it was for them. It was mostly for me. Um, but at the end of just talking through, like, this is what it really is. And I think that there are too many misconceptions around, you know, feminism is a girl's issue. That that's, that's the, the lie, I guess. Um, at the end, one of my male cousins shared that, you know, one of his takeaways was... Um, he mentioned, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but I was one of those people that would say those things, like really disrespectful. I never thought about how it impacts other people or how it might make people feel. And a lot of it was who I was hanging around. You know, we all thought it was funny. No one called it out. And that, you know, I've now, because he's finished school, um, finished high school now, now he mentioned that he's made an active decision not to associate with those people like when you take a step back you can realize actually they are toxic they're not good for me or anyone (laughs) um and he's gonna call it out if he sees it and so that was um that was the moment where my heart cried (laughs) that sounds and yeah i think we need to we need to join this presentation i mean you need to Present it to Bottled Up. <laughs> no, 100%. We'll definitely try and link it in the show notes as I think a lot of people would want to have a look at that. Um, because, you know, the, the real basis of, of the question really, it really stems from what happened recently with this person called Maria Thatil. I'm not sure if you've heard mm. about what happened, but um, she essentially she's actually the Miss Universe Australia. And essentially she was added to a group chat full of 18-year-old boys where she, I think, uh, I think she witnessed a lot of the traits that you described just before actually. Um, and after that, our Instagram, our Instagram feed and our entire social media literally just blew up um, with a lot of people, you know, a lot of our friends group actually were, were advocating for this idea of this call out culture, you know, this idea of sort of calling someone out if they display toxic, you know, masculine uh, traits. And, you know, I think this, this culture, I think it sort of, def- it definitely festers in high school, like you mentioned, it, it's definitely a fertile environment for these traits to be ingrained. And you know, and, and look, but by no means am I saying that this is uh, this is a defence at all. But I, I think it's it's fundamentally a lot about an educational issue as well, because you know, coming from an all boys school, um, these things actually weren't spoken or taught about. Like, not that these things need to be taught, but you know, I, I feel like I feel as if if that dialogue did exist mm-hmm. at a very young age, the there won't be instances like these instances would not be as prevalent as they are today. Um, Definitely, 100%. This is possibly a little bit of a different note, but on, you know, how schools are a good place to learn about all these things. When I think about how schools have separated, you know, boys and girls to teach them about issues, I remember when I was in school, girls would have assemblies about like, um, your skirt has to be a certain length, make sure it's not shorter than this. And when the boys had their assembly, it was literally, when you go to the toilet, don't miss the toilet. Make sure you pee. Yeah. In, you know, <laughs> oh, I think they had this whole like lift, aim, pee was their takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so even then, you're like, wow. Okay, these issues that we're discussing are very different. Yeah. 
Mm, yeah, no, um, I completely agree. <laughs> and on that point of, you know, calling things out, one of my clients um, through the clinic actually told me this great tip that she learned on TikTok, I think. <laughs> um, but it was like a good way to call out behavior is actually getting someone to repeat something. So for example, your friend might say something low key or high key misogynist. If you notice that in the moment, but you don't know how to respond, you could just say, you know, sorry, could you say that again? Or like, what did, what did you say? Kind of pause in the conversation to make them reflect. And are they actually going to say it again? And, and that kind of gives you an opportunity to say like, that's not funny or like, that's not all right. Yeah. yeah. That sounds really important because uh, as Mayang said, a lot of these things have been ingrained in our sort of in our generation at a younger age maybe like for our case maybe five six years ago and now it's really hard to bring that awareness and me and Mank were literally talking about this like we're obviously like we have obviously yep. behaved in ways that we don't even know we're probably very you know toxic and now we're kind of like trying to look back at our steps and say you know how do we bring a bit more conscious awareness to you know, let's not do this. And yeah, small things like repeating something ridiculous that you've said. And if you just say it enough times, be like, that is like, why am I saying something like that? Over time, hopefully that can lead to a bit more of a, of a, of a approach where we're being more careful. And then we're start to call out other people as well. I think that would be the goal in this case. But I think it's, it's, I think the work you're doing is like amazing because it, it ties in. It's so complicated. yet It's so powerful as well, because this links back to, you know, the trends that we see in women's mental health, which is obviously so important because, you know, you hear men's mental health all the time, especially like for us, like, you know, Bottled Up was kind of at the start of men's mental health podcast. But, you know, we've realized that a lot of our listeners are females. Um, to be honest, I know, I think I almost know mm. more females who listen to it on a regular basis than males. <laughs> I'm not even just saying that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And you know what, like that is my goal that it becomes as easy for men to talk about mental health um, as it is for women to talk about feelings. And, you know, just looking at the good friends that I've had for such a long time, like the guys who now they feel safe, the things that they tell me sometimes, you know, it surprises me. I don't know about you, but for example, they'll be like, V, let's go have cocktails. I never get to have cocktails. I'm like, what do you mean? Why? <laughs> like, oh, you know, it's always beers. It's always beers with the guys. <laughs> or like another friend who would say like, okay, this is my biggest secret. I can't tell anyone, which I'm now going to tell everyone. But he's like, I have a really thriving veggie patch. <laughs> and I'm like, why is that a secret? <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Yeah. And it's kind of that whole... Again, you know, the toxic masculinity of the messages are it's not okay to love your veggie patch and have cocktails, which from my perspective, I'm just like, what? <laughs> so I would love for that, just even breaking down the little things, um, just be more free and understanding. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really nice advice. Um, I think we've touched on like a lot, like probably a few topics today, but it's come together nicely Um for anyone who's just, I guess, interested in getting some insights. And yeah, thanks so much for uh, touching on those topics. It was really good. I wanted to end, and we always end with some sort of like general advice question. So I wanted to throw this, this might be a bit of a hard question, but you know, what's like one piece of advice that you would give to someone in you know, a similar position to yourself or us, who's like an Asian Australian um, growing up in these very difficult times, you know, given 
everything that's happening in social media with like the things we talked about, you know, sexual um, assault, but also it's COVID time, let's not forget, we're in a pandemic. Um, so mm. to deal with that as an Asian Australian, do you have any advice? Hmm. How to deal with the sad news of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Can you also explain to us the meaning of life in that question as well? <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to need to extend the podcast there. <laughs> Um, well, I think if, um, all right. So what comes into mind for me is at the end of the day, a lot of it comes back to you and understanding yourself. Even if you can understand like your body's reaction to listening to the news, like, did you get really deflated from hearing that? Does it happen every time or you know, when I um, hear about this topic, I get really uncomfortable and I avoid it. Or, you know, just noticing that you avoid certain things or that you react a certain way, that is really powerful. And that's really just the biggest first step um, to doing something about it, like talking to someone else or finding out more information. So I would really encourage awareness of yourself, which um, a really great avenue to do that is through shapes and sounds oh, beautiful. we actually have yeah in October that's mental health month we have a 30 day challenge which is all about you know each day there's a prompt that to encourage your reflection um, and really start to build that introspection learning about yourself and then you know being able to know like what is what do you enjoy like what is good for you um, what's normal all those things but so that that's my main message is if you can really start to understand yourself, I think you will, you know, unlock a lot more as cheesy as it sounds. I think that it's true. I felt it. Awesome. Yeah. I was having a look at the website as well and you can actually sign up on the website. So we'll make sure to keep, um, we'll make sure to add the uh, link to the website on the, uh, in the show notes as well. So there's, there's going to be a lot of attach- a lot of attachments in this, uh, in this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, in all seriousness though, like thanks so much for reaching out. Um, cause like this sort of website is so important for people from our background. And, and I really liked how you said, even if you're not looking to see a psychologist, just knowing that platform exists. Um, I kind of mm. felt that when I saw that, you know, all those mm. people there. So yeah, look forward to staying in touch awesome. and, you know, mm. hopefully, you know, doing more podcasts together, whether it be with other people in Shapes and Sounds or mm. in any other context. So yeah, thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, so thank you. You guys do amazing work. And now that I've seen your merch, you have amazing merch. <laughs> oh, so it's good to know we're all like, you know, fighting the good fight. <laughs> No, that's great. Yeah, well, um, yeah, that's uh, wear, yeah. People can't see us, but I'm wearing the bottled up hoodie. I don't know what Ujol's Ujol's bottled up merch is, but uh, look, I'm just gonna know. on that note. I'm just gonna say this is Ujol signing off. This is Meng signing off. This is Vian signing off. <laughs>And that's that. Episode 24 is in the bag. Even after the show, Vianne Udra and I had a really nice chat and it was really inspirational to see the amount of work that she's been doing in this space. We really hope you took something out of that one, whether it be the different aspects of our lives that can affect our mental state from culture to gender, 
to the topic of toxic masculinity, something that we really hope to explore a little bit more in our upcoming episodes. You can also find Shapes and Sounds on their Instagram page at Shapes and Sounds, as well as their website where you can find a list of Southeast Asian psychologists you can speak to if you need. As always, please give our Instagram a follow if you have any interesting mates or friends you feel will be good for the show. Feel free to shoot us a message. But until next time, stay safe and stay well.